0: Mark chapter 1 last week, as we continued our study through the gospel of Mark, we noted that, that Jesus, after calling the initial disciples, the first four disciples, to follow him, they went to a town named Capernaum. Peter's has, Peter has a home there. It will become the base of operations, if you would, for Jesus' ministry and it, it it we saw that as soon as they get there it tells us that Jesus went to the synagogue on the sabbath day which was his custom and and he began to teach there he was invited to open the scriptures to read from the scriptures and to teach and we talked about the fact that he was different the way that he presented the word the way that he spoke was different because he spoke with power and authority because he is the living word and we talked about the fact that because of that there was this man there demon possessed man that the demon cried out, could not stand to be in the presence of the holy one of God, and and we talked about how Jesus commanded that demon to leave that man. Quite a quite a church service that took place that day. And it tells us that afterwards they went back to Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law was was sick, she was ill and had a fever, and Jesus touched her and healed her immediately. She got up, began to serve them, and then when, when evening came, when the Sabbath was officially over, tells us that people from all over the city were bringing the sick, were bringing the demon-possessed to Jesus, to the front door, to have him touch, to have him heal. Imagine the day, <laughs> and that is quite a day. And we don't know how long into the evening that that this took place, but I would imagine it several hours into the evening as people kept coming and and word kept spreading. Well, we pick up our study today where we left off last week in verse 34. We pick up in verse 35 and note what it says. It says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I don't know about you, but after a really, really busy day and one of those days that just keeps going and even into the late evening, my best friend the next day is my snooze alarm. Anybody else like that? I mean, you hear it, you're like, oh, I got to get, okay, nine more minutes, nine more minutes. How do I know it's nine minutes? Because I use it. I know it's nine minutes. My snooze alarm is. And here we see Jesus after an incredibly busy day. I mean, we just get a little glimpse of it in in Mark's account as he condenses it down to just a few verses for us. But imagine what went on that day. And Jesus, in his humanity, doing this. Yes, Jesus, fully God, but fully man. In his humanity, he's tired, he's exhausted, as you and I are. But notice the priority he places the next morning. The number one thing on his to-do list to spend time with the Heavenly Father. And he didn't have an alarm clock. He got up because it was, it was so important for him. And I want to take some time as we begin our study today to look at prayer for just, just a few minutes together. And to, if we could just pull out from the Word of God and from what we see, even in just this little verse, four things that should describe the prayer life for you and I as Christians, you and I as born-again believers, we have such an amazing privilege. Prayer is such an incredible gift that God gives to us. Prayer is that, that communication that we have with Almighty God. And by the way, it is a two-way communication. It's not a monologue. <laughs> so many times our prayers are, are wired that way, though, aren't they? Here, all right, God, I got five minutes. I'm going to list out all, all, of my, all of my requests, which can even look like demands. But prayer is to be a dialogue. As a matter of fact, I'm often challenged, and I give you the same challenge. We should spend more time listening than we spend speaking in our prayer time. But notice, as we look through this, there's four things, and I just kind of put them together in a way that hopefully we can we can remember them. First of all, we should pray perpetually. We should pray continually. The Bible speaks of this, that we are to pray without ceasing. As a matter of fact, it is the will of God for us this way. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice, he says, rejoice always. I love the, the definitive words that he uses here, always. That means all the time, rejoice. Notice, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Note, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to know what God's will is for your life? As born-again believers, we all ought to say, yes, well, here's part of it, that in everything that we go through, no matter what we face, we should be rejoicing. There is always, no matter what it is, an area that we can lift up to God and say, God, I don't understand it, but I give you praise. I thank you. And notice the next part, pray without ceasing. Now, that obviously does not mean that we need to have our eyes closed and our head bowed and our hands folded 24-7. What it means is that we need to have a continual line of communication open with God. One of the things that blesses me, there's, there's many, it'd take me days to list them, but one of the things that blesses me about, about spending time with my wife in just everyday things, as we're doing, as we're driving, as we're going places, she, she'll say, Lord Jesus. And, and she'll just be praying. She'll just, it'll just come out of her as, she, as, she's, as, she, as we're facing, just little things as we're going through the day. It's that reminder to me that should be a continual thing in our lives to have that communication open, to hear from God, to lift up just the things every day as we go through them, giving thanks in everything that we go through. Now, why is this God's will for us? Well, I believe primarily is because God knows the benefits that it brings us. God knows what it does for us. Yes, it pleases him. Yes, it blesses him. But he doesn't need our prayers. We need to be in prayer. And he knows that benefit. As a matter of fact, Paul outlines that for us in Philippians chapter 4. He says, be anxious for nothing. And I love the fact that the verse doesn't stop there. I'm going to date most of us, but do you remember Bob Newhart? Yeah, some of you, I better ask how many don't know who Bob Newhart is. But anyway, I remember that, and if you want a great laugh, go home later and pull it up, Google it, it's on YouTube. There's a video of him where he's, he's doing his psychology thing, and he has somebody come in, and she lays out, and he says, I only charge, you know, it's only a couple of dollars for the advice I give, and she lays out this whole thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of this, and lays it all out. And he finally says, all right, are you ready for my, yes. And so she takes out a notepad, and she's ready, right, and goes, I don't think you'll need it what do you mean? She goes, well, it's pretty simple. Stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. Well, if that's all this verse said, that would be kind of like that advice. Just knock it off. Just be anxious for nothing. But notice the next word, but. What Paul tells us here is that the heart of God is, don't be anxious, instead do this. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of being anxious, go to God with it. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, take it to him. Notice in the next conjunction is and. When you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. It goes beyond our ability to understand it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God knows the benefits when we pray continually, when we lift things up to him. Instead of getting anxious or excited or or whatever about the situation, we say, all right, Lord, thank you for the situation. What do you want to do with this? And we lift it up to him. And the peace guarding our hearts and our minds praying perpetually, but here we see in our verse in verse 35 something that I believe sometimes gets lost in our lives even as Christians and that is to pray purposefully. Yes, we're to pray continually pray perpetually, but there needs to be time in our life that is set aside regularly to purposefully pray. Here we see in Jesus that he got up early in the morning while it was still dark. Why did he do that? Because all of the distractions were still sleeping. And he got away. And Luke tells us in chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus often did this. This wasn't occasionally. He often got away to secluded places, to deserted places. That word secluded literally means uninhabited there's nothing else around to distract and i don't know about you but i so need that regularly because there are so many distractions bad distractions good distractions just in general distractions deserted isolated uninhabited that means leave your cell phone leave your leave your ipad leave whatever it is and get away Get alone. Notice Jesus got up, left by himself alone, and he was there for a while. He didn't rush it. It wasn't a five-minute thing. He got up while it was still dark, while it was still early, and he got away to a place where we're going to see. They had to hunt to find him. Now, I know, because you're like me, probably the reason if we were going to go around and we were going to say, why isn't this a regular part of your day? The answer will probably be because I'm I'm just too busy. I have so many other things. I have so many other things in my day. I'm just too busy to set aside a half hour, an hour in the morning or whenever that might be to get away from everything else and to just pray. But let me just challenge you with this as God challenges me with every time I try to pull that card, busier than Jesus. We just looked at last week and just recapped a little bit ago his full day that he just had the day before and how tired he must have been. None of us today would say, you know what, we got got to get to California. We're going to drive to California. I don't have time to put gas in my tank. I have to get there. (laughs) None of us would say that. We would realize that in order to get there, we had to put gas in the tank. So no matter how much time that took, it was necessary time. Guys, prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is the fuel that we need to get through the day that is ahead of us, especially the day that God has planned for us. I came across this quote many years ago, and it blesses me every time I come back through it in my notes or in my reading. It's from Oswald Chambers. It says, get in the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. As we listen, our ears get acute, and like Jesus, we shall hear God all the time. I challenge you in your prayer life that when you start saying, all right, again, instead of just a list of things that I want, Lord, what do you want? Speak, Lord. You'll realize that time is needed because there's a lot of things that he wants to do in and through us in our lives. Well, pray perpetually, pray purposefully, but also pray powerfully. Do you realize that that God desires that our prayer has power? The disciples came to Jesus and it's interesting, the question that they said, if you, if you could have one thing from Jesus, I mean, they didn't come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to cast out demons or show us how to heal people or, man, we saw that message yesterday. We heard it. We saw the response of the people. Teach us to speak like that. No, they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus did not say, okay, pray this prayer. He said, pray in this manner, giving us an outline to use. Not a script to follow, but an outline to use. But it's an important outline. We, we often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, and it's not something to just be recited, although I think sometimes we've gone so far away from that, well, we don't want to have rote repetition, that we get away from the beauty of the prayer itself. And when we take it line by line and allow God to, to minister through this, it is a powerful prayer because Jesus himself laid it out. He said, Pray in this manner. And he begins by, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. And that is a great place to start every time in our prayer, recognizing ourselves, who it is we're speaking to, and where he is. Our Father. We are going to the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe with our prayer. But we are going as special people to him. As born-again believers, the Bible tells us that we are children of God. We have an audience with our heavenly father. And Jesus uses the illustration of of us as earthly parents and how, how we as earthly parents set out desire to do good things for our children. How much more our heavenly father with us as children of God? But not only who we're dealing with, but where he is. He is in heaven. Speaking of his glory, he is holy. He is totally other Understand that the one that we go to with our prayer knows things that we don't. Sees things that we can't. Has access to power and to to things that we have no idea about. You see, God in heaven, our heavenly father in, in the heavenly realms is not bound by time. He's not bound by the things that you and I are. He knows the beginning from the end. We don't know what tomorrow has or next week or next month, but he does. And it is because of that that we can have that peace that passes understanding. When we go to him in prayer, knowing who he is, where he is, what he is that that we he has access he has knowledge he has insight into things that we have no idea about your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven again his kingdom yes and we we know the millennial reign that is coming maranatha come lord jesus but your kingdom come right here right now rule and reign in my heart lord Your will be done, not mine. Our prayer should never be to bend God's will to us, but always bend us to His will. Always seeking, and again, understanding His will. He knows best. He knows what is best for us, what we need. We might not fully understand the response and the answer, but when we give Him that blank sheet of paper to to do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, where He wants, Again, we might not understand it. We might not always agree initially. Anybody else glad that God answered no to a prayer sometime in your life? That at that time, we knew that this is what we needed. But he said, no, I know better. And even sometimes they're good things. But later on, we realized that he had something better. His will, not ours. Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Jesus takes us through this initial part of the prayer before we get to the petitions that we bring. Then he says, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we, re- we recognize our desperate need for you in everything that idea of daily bread means what we need every day not just our food but everything that we need this day daily trusting god today for what it is that we need we're not asking him lord pack our bank accounts so that we can be we can have security for tomorrow and next year and all that no today i'm trusting you today lord for what is ahead a devotion that i I went through many years ago now, but it has blessed me so much then it just continually comes back in in my prayer regularly and in understanding just this visual picture. We, if you probably, most of you know the 23rd Psalm, Even, even people who have no idea about anything else, they've probably heard the 23rd Psalm. And one of the verses in there says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, as Westerners, as Americans, when we think of lying down in green pastures, we think of doing grass angels in miles of alfalfa, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we think of, lying down in green pastures. But an American didn't write that. David wrote that. And David is a Jewish shepherd. And David understood what a green pasture was to a Jewish shepherd. If you've been to Israel and you see the rolling hills... You'll also notice what's not in those rolling hills, sheep. The sheep and the shepherds are out in the desert. And you wonder if they live on rocks because that's all you can see. But a shepherd knows where the grass is in the desert. And he leads the sheep to that day by day. And one of the great parts about the illustration is you're never going to find a nervous sheep, an anxious sheep that is all worried about, where his next meal is going to come from. The sheep just looks to the shepherd and follows the shepherd where he leads. And that's a beautiful picture that we are to embrace as Christians with our good shepherd, that he is the one that is going to lead us to the green pastures. He's going to lead us daily to what it is that we need. He'll provide our needs, not our greeds. He promises the bread, not the dessert. And we follow him forgive us our debts as we forgive those as we have forgiven our debtors if we have forgiven those who who we we could in our flesh hold things against but but we cry out to god say lord forgive me and as we forgive others that is a daily thing keep short accounts with god keep short accounts with others a way to have peace Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil again daily. Understanding that if we are left to our own resources, we don't stand a chance in this battle, this spiritual battle. But daily we need to put on the full armor of God reminding ourselves of God's promises and his faithfulness. One great verse, if you're battling, if you're struggling with temptation or you're struggling in some area of your life, there is a promise in the word of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. His power in us as we again come to him in prayer. His power for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Again, great way to finish the prayer where we started, who it is we're speaking to. His power, his glory. Praying powerfully. And when we pray this way, guys, it is not wrong for us to pray fourthly, presumptuously expecting God to move, expecting God to speak and to act, not name it and claim it, not that we list out these things and say, all right, God, go do that. No, but expecting him to move, expecting him to respond, expecting him to speak, especially when we go to him and say, Lord, show me, speak to me, One thing that I encourage you to do in your prayer time when you are purposefully going before the Lord in prayer is bring a pencil and a piece of paper. Oh, let me clarify, a blank piece of paper. (laughs) Not with the list of your demands, a blank piece of paper. And then have God speak to you and write it out what it is that he's showing you. I like Psalm 5. Verse 3 in the New Living Translation, it says this. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly, expecting God to move. I, I've spent a little time here because, and I want to come back to it where we began, but verse 35, notice again, this wasn't the disciples that got up early to do this. This is Jesus. And can I just say pretty Pretty certainly that if Jesus needed this, we need this. If Jesus prioritized this in his daily life, we should prioritize this in our daily lives. And I, I want to, we mentioned it in the announcements at the beginning. I want to re-mention it here and encourage you tonight. Six o'clock is our monthly time where we gather together as a body of believers and pray. We go before the Lord together. Set aside just a little time, one evening a month, where we spend some time in some intimate worship and then prayer, seeking God's face. There's a time where we pray for our missionaries, as we, as we mentioned earlier. There's a time where we pray for, for personal needs. There's a time where we seek God to, to speak in and through us. There's a time where we just worship him. It's a special time. I want to invite you to come out tonight, 6 o'clock. It's down at Video Venue B. And we, we expect God to move and to answer prayer. He does. There's so many praise reports that come out each month, too, as God answers prayer. Well, we see, this doesn't last forever. <laughs> Verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. The city is awaking up and it's buzzing and where is Jesus? He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. Note, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. This is what I came for, Jesus said. He knew this. He heard from the Father. He knew what his mission was. And he wouldn't let anything detract him from that mission. He stayed focused. He avoided the distractions. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, there's several chapters in Isaiah that speak of the coming servant, pointing to the Messiah that is to come. One of the most Read and most understood in that is Isaiah 53, where it speaks of the suffering servant and outlines in detail the suffering that Jesus would take upon himself so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. But another example of that is back just a couple of chapters in Isaiah chapter 50, speaking again of the coming servant of Jesus, foretelling Jesus' coming. And it says something interesting about this, and it, it ties in great with the verses we're looking at right now. Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5, it says, The Lord God has given me, and again, this is prophetically speaking of Jesus, the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Notice, even Jesus, in his humanity, relying on the Father to to pour into him, to show him, to direct him. Jesus would say as much in John chapter 12, verse 49, where he says, I don't say anything of my own initiative. It comes from the Father. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Here we see again foretelling Jesus, even as we see it laid out for us in verse 35, going, hearing from the Father, and then being obedient in what it is that the Father has set him out to do, a great outline for you and I. Being spirit-filled, heavenly-minded, focused on the things of God in our prayer life, and as we pray, and then as we step out in obedience. Guys, ministry is going to find us. We're not going to have to go looking for it. God is going to bring it to us. But it's, my, it's probably going to be different than you expect. Oftentimes we can go in and say, you know what? I have this. I have this idea. This is what I'm looking for. This is, this is maybe even my heart with this. But then God says, you know what? I have a different idea for you. Or I have a different plan for today. I don't know about you, but I, the, when we look at this, it says that everybody's looking for you. There's a ton of ministry down in Capernaum. Jesus' answer kind of surprises me. Instead of saying, okay, let me go back there, he says, no. Let's go somewhere else. Let's do something different because that is what my mission is. That's what I am called to do. Conventional wisdom would say, well, there's low-hanging fruit there. Go back. But oftentimes, God will lead us in a different direction. Another great example, you want to read it in in detail, I'll just summarize it real quickly. But in Acts chapter eight, Philip, God is using Philip in amazing ways. His ministry is exploding, miracles, healings, people coming to saving faith, booming. God says, Go out in the middle of the desert. Out, sends him out in the middle of nowhere and he responds in obedience and it is there that he meets the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back from Jerusalem with the scroll of Isaiah that he's reading and the Lord prompts Philip to go up and run next to the chariot and, and he does and he asks him and he says hey you know what you're reading and he goes how could I unless somebody explains it to me ding 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 Philip jumps in the chariot with him, explains that this is speaking of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah that has come, that has died, has risen again, and has paid the price for your sins. The Ethiopian eunuch gives his life to Jesus, is baptized there. God takes Philip on to another area. Leaving this, going away from this, God works in mysterious ways. It's amazing to me how we get emails all the time. 10 ways to grow your church. This seminar, come here and learn, grow your church. Do that, blah, 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 blah. Follow this pattern. It's working over here. All this other kind of stuff. You know what we do? You know what seminar we go to? We get on our knees and we pray and we say, Lord, what do you have for us? Because this is, God has a unique work that he wants to do in every, every individual body, every individual believer The disciples so often missed, as we'll work through the the gospel of Mark here together, we're going to see, they missed. They misunderstood the mission. We have to be careful that we don't. Well, we see he goes on now. He's moving through other areas in Galilee. He's going to other synagogues. He's preaching, casting out demons. And notice verse 40, (laughs) ministry comes to Jesus. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. We don't know this man's name. We know his condition. He's a leper. Leprosy. A disease that... That begins with just a small spot, almost undetected at, undetectable at first, but then it, it grows and certain characteristics about it cause alarm and concern. And one of those things that as it begins to spread is a loss of feeling in the area, total loss of any sensation at all. And eventually it spreads to the point where you can no longer hide it and there is no cure at all. It's basically a death sentence. It's incurable. And here we see this man who has leprosy, and Luke tells us something interesting about the stage of the leprosy. It is in in the advanced stages. It says that he is covered with leprosy. No doubt he has gotten to that point that, that many do before death where, where body parts start falling off because they have completely, they're completely dead. Nose, ears, cheek muscles, fingers, toes. There's only three cases recorded for us in the Old Testament where somebody who had had leprosy was cured of leprosy. First, it's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 4 when Moses was at the burning bush and he was questioning God about, you know, how are they going to know and all this kind of stuff and uh, who you are and, and as God is sending him on this mission. And so God tells him, put your hand in your robe. So he does. He pulls it out. His hand is full of leprosy. And God says, put your hand back, puts it back, pulls it back out, totally clean. So God used that as an illustration of his power to Moses. The next time we see it is in, in Numbers chapter 12 where Moses' sister Miriam and Moses' brother Aaron stand up in defiance against Moses, kind of questioning his authority and why are you the only one and standing up in that way and God intervenes. Interesting, as you read that chapter, God stands in defense of Moses and, and as, a, as a punishment to Miriam for standing up in that way, she comes down with leprosy. And Aaron pleads with Moses, and Moses then pleads with God to heal her, and God heals her. And again, we see this short thing, but God using it as in a way there. So those two aren't, aren't what we would say probably real cases of leprosy, God using those to make a point to Moses and to Miriam. The other example is recorded for us in 2 Kings chapter 5, a man named Naaman, not a Jew. As a matter of fact, he's the king in Syria, And it's recorded for us this way. And I I would encourage you to read 2 Kings chapter 5, the entire story. But bottom line, he has a servant girl who is a Jewish girl. And she knows that there's a possibility because there's this really powerful prophet in Israel that if he's going to be healed, that's like his only hope. So he takes silver and gold and all this stuff and he goes. And it tells us that Elisha went, and like I said, there's more, a little more backstory to it, but I want to read to you, beginning in verse 10. Elisha is the prophet, and it says, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, a messenger to Naaman, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says wash and be clean? Verse 14 says this. So he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I read that because I, 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 I like the picture that is painted therefore for us. And D.L. Moody said this. Naaman lost his temper, then he lost his pride, then he lost his leprosy. What a great (laughs) transition that we see in that. Well, there's no other recorded instance. As a matter of fact, Jesus would seem to indicate in Luke chapter 4 that there has never been a leper ever cured in all of Israel. He says in chapter 4, verse 27, there are many lepers in Israel, none have ever been cleansed, but Naaman the Syrian, Jesus points to the story that we just read, no others. Now Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, again, if you're, if you're wanting some homework this week, great, great stuff to read through as a backstory for some of this, but Leviticus 13 speaks of the fact that it was the priest's job to identify whether someone had leprosy or not. And it goes through in great detail what it's supposed to do with it's this and it's this and it goes all the way through all of this. And it comes to the point late in chapter 13, that if someone is diagnosed with leprosy, this is what is to happen. Verse 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache, cover his mouth, and cry unclean, unclean. That is the sentence for the rest of his life. Whenever he would come within sight of of an uninfected person, he had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the shame? The rest of your life, you had to proclaim to everyone that you were unclean. And he sa- it says in verse 46, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The shame The loneliness, basically cast out of the city, living in communities where the only other people you ever see or talk to are other lepers in the same condition. No hope, absolute desperation. Back to our story. Here we see this man in the advanced stages, days, weeks maybe left to live, and he comes to Jesus. I believe, probably honoring what he is to do, crying unclean as soon as he started seeing the crowd. And can you imagine the crowd? As he walks through and he comes to Jesus and it says that he falls on his knees before Jesus and he says something amazing. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That word you can has the same root, dunamis that we've talked of often that speaks of the power. He says, I know you have the power to make me clean. If you are simply willing. He comes to Jesus because he realizes that's his only hope. He comes to Jesus, not worried about what anybody else thinks. Totally humble before the Lord, a desperate plea, asking the impossible of the only one that he knows can do this. And look at Jesus' reaction says that he reached out and he touched him. Now, it doesn't speak anything about specifics about the touch, but I can guarantee you it wasn't <laughs> repulsively. It wasn't even reluctantly because Jesus didn't have to touch him. Jesus could have healed him with a word. But it says that he had compassion for him. His heart was breaking for him as he saw him. Can you imagine the touch as Jesus touches him? How long had it been since anybody touched him? Everybody else for years, every time would come, and he'd say unclean, would run the other direction. And here, Jesus reaches out and touches him. And it says that when he touched him, notice, immediately his leprosy left him immediately cleansed. That, that carries with it the idea of not only the disease leaving him, but all of the effects of the disease completely reversed. He's had his face covered up, no doubt probably his hands wrapped in rags to cover up the fingers that have fallen off. His, and, and all of a sudden, he feels some weird sensation and Take it, all of a sudden, his finger totally healed. Now, interesting, what's next? Jesus says, Don't tell anybody. Is there a harder commandment that can you imagine? Don't tell anybody. However, notice what he does say go show the priests. Go tell the priests, the very ones that we talked about in Leviticus chapter 13, who were the ones that would have seen the spots, who would have seen this, run all of the tests, done all of the things in Leviticus 13, to point out the fact that you're a leper the rest of your life. You have to declare you're unclean and live outside, away from everybody else. They're the ones who have cast him away. Now, Jesus says, go back and tell them, notice, as a testimony to them, to the priests, to do the sacrifices that are necessary. Now remember, this has never been done before. Leviticus 14 outlines what is to be done, but when they go, I can only imagine the priests looking at each other going, ah, I remember we took a class on this one day, but we've never had to do it. And it tells us, and again, I encourage you to read it in Leviticus 14, what a beautiful picture. They're to take two Two doves, two clean birds. They take one of them, they kill the bird, and they, they let the blood from that bird flow into a bowl as they flow living or moving water into the bowl. Then they take the, the water and blood mixture and they dip the other dove into that. They take the, the, the remainder and they sprinkle it seven times on the one that is now proclaimed, and then they take the dove and they let it fly free. The blood of Jesus. Jesus washing and cleansing us, setting us free. Jesus says, go, go and have them do this as a testimony to them. They should see this. They should understand this, that, oh my goodness, this has never happened before. And what a beautiful picture that it's outlining for us. Do you know who those priests were? Annas. Caiaphas were the high priests. They certainly, if this man did go and do this, they certainly did, the testimony didn't hit them because they would be the ones that are ultimately behind Jesus' execution. Back to the the command though, tell nobody. What does it say he did? He went out and told everybody. Now we gotta cut the guy a break though, right? I mean, can you imagine being in his position? We need, to, we need to understand the position he's in. But here's also another reason why we can cast no stones at this guy. Because Jesus told him to tell nobody. He went out and told everybody. He tells us to tell everybody. We struggle to tell anybody. <laughs> so before we look too condemningly on that guy, <laughs> let's put the mirror up. Because we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to do what Jesus did here, allowing him to to move through us. Our challenge, our call is to go out into the world, to go to those places, not where we're comfortable. Notice again, Jesus, it would have been real easy to go back to Capernaum. He says, no, we're to go here. We're to go to those places that are outside of our comfort zone. We're to go to those people that are outside of our, our comfort zone. The ones that the world would look at as untouchables. If we're to bring the touch of Jesus to them. It's a challenge to you and I. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. From the very beginning it is talked of that way. A picture of sin. And and it's a very accurate picture. It begins small most of the time. Almost undetected. But then as it grows and it spreads... And it's and it's left that way. Then it grows, and then we losing sensation. We become desensitized to the to the spirit, and the, the that we know the difference between right and wrong. And it grows to a point where where you can't hide it anymore. And it's incurable. There's nothing that we can do to fix that. And the world around us is dying, going to hell because of this condition, and we have the cure, and his name is Jesus, and we are to go out and to bring that touch. But as we close, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, you have this death sentence. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's, there's nothing that you can do to cure this disease. You will die in your sins. You will die in your trespasses, and you will face an eternity facing the wrath of God in hell forever. That is the path that you are on, but I'm here to tell you there's another path you can get on today. You can be cured completely, 100%, made whole today, and that is by giving your life to Jesus. You see, he looked at our situation the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. It's a gift that's given to us because Jesus took our place. He died our death. He became our sin so that in him we can be clothed in righteousness. But you have to receive the gift. And it's sim- it is that simple. Now, you could be like Naaman. Naaman. You could say it can't be that simple. It's got to, I, And, and I, I would say to you, okay, so if I give you a list of 10 things to do, would you go do those 10 things in order to be cured? Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to do 10 things. As a matter of fact, you simply just need to receive what has already been done. Jesus did it all already. And you simply just need to receive it. Don't worry about appearances. Don't worry about what anybody else might think. Simply respond. Come to Jesus as this leper did. Verse 40 tells us he simply came to Jesus and he prayed a prayer. I know you have the power. I know that you you can do this if you're willing. And I'm here to tell you today that if you come with that prayer, Jesus, I know you did it all. I know you paid it all. I know you have the power to forgive my sin if you're willing. I'm here to tell you today he is willing and he will cleanse you and wash you from all of your sin, but you need to come today. Would you please stand with me? And I want to encourage you. If that is you today, we're going to have a time where we pray real quickly now. We're going to have one more time of, of one more song of worship. If that is you, and, and God is revealing this to you, you need that cure. I invite you to come forward as we sing. We're going to have our Pastors and elders up front here, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Can don't worry about what others might think. If you don't want to come up alone, I would encourage you to ask the person next to you to come up with you. I guarantee they'll come because we've all been there. Perhaps you're here and, you, and you've, you've given your life to the Lord, but you've wandered away. Come back today. And if you need prayer for any reason, again, we talked about the power of prayer. We want to pray with you. So as we, as we pray now and as we sing this last song together, please come forward. We'd love that opportunity to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the amazing gift of life that we have, that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, that we can come to our creator, we can come to our savior Anytime. We don't have to wait in line. We don't have to take a number. We don't leave a message. We have direct access to the throne of grace. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. And Lord, it is our desire that we would seek you in all things. And Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would have ears to hear what it is that you would have for us. And Lord, that we would walk in obedience. Lord, use us in this time. Use us in this day. Use us for your kingdom purposes. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would move amongst us, that you would move in, in powerful ways, drawing all men to Jesus. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.